wake up. Your time is being stolen from you. Opt out. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash Kaz and start storing your time in Bitcoin. I'm Kaz Baiko, and you're listening to Down the Rabbit Hole, your favorite Bitcoin podcast. But I don't want to go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Most everyone's mad <laughs> Welcome to the latest edition of Down the Rabbit Hole. I'm joined by Ruben Sampson, and today we're going to discuss the different layers that are being built around Bitcoin um, that I'm starting to call the Bitcoin onion. So what's up, Ruben? How are you? Hey, glad to be here. So you're doing a lot of work around these different layers, side mm. chains, soft chains, state chains, space chains, all these different chains. So let's just keep it simple from the start and then build on top of that. So basically just start with what is a side chain. All right. Um, well, I think that's actually not the easiest question either, but uh, no, it's a good place to start. Um, so a, a side chain is actually, um, the definition of the word has become a little muddled over time. Um, but you know, very broadly speaking, it is the idea that you can have like a secondary chain that is somehow connected back to Bitcoin. And ideally there is a so-called two-way peg between them. Uh, and a two-way peg basically just means you can take your Bitcoins, you can move them to the other chain and you can do stuff then on the other chain. And then later, if you wanna go back to Bitcoin, uh, you can go back. Uh, that is kind of the uh, basic framework of a sidechain. And very generally speaking, uh, the holy grail is to have a sidechain that is completely decentralized. So you don't have to trust anyone uh, with this, the whole thing, like moving coins uh, to another chain and moving back. If that can be done entirely you know, in a trustless or trust minimized fashion, that would be ideal. Uh, but in practice, this uh, has proven quite difficult. Um, so I do have one proposal, soft chains, which uh, achieves that, but also, you know, with some, uh, um, you know, technical things that are, you know, not ideal, so it's not perfect. Um, but yeah, that's just generally the concept of a sidechain. And, and the reason this is uh, useful is because, you know, very generally speaking, we currently we have Bitcoin and Bitcoin has one rule set. And if you don't like that rule set, if you want to do something more fancy than the things that Bitcoin can do, uh, like for instance, you know, this stuff that happens on Ethereum, uh, you're sort of out of luck. Uh, there's no way for you to take your Bitcoins um, and use them in Ethereum contracts in a way that's completely uh, trustless. Uh, you can do it in, in, in ways that are not trustless. Um, that is sort of possible. But the kind of holy grail is, well, what if we didn't need those altcoins at all anymore? And we could just create all these different types of chains and they can all use Bitcoin because you can just move towards them and you can move back. And that is really kind of the, I would say like the dream of uh, what ideally we would like to see with sidechains, but in practice has been uh, very difficult to achieve. Right. So the the main benefits of this are basically to in change the rule set of essentially Bitcoin core or the, the core network and uh, change those rules on the side chain, which could potentially increase performance or, or flexibility. Um, so what is really the difference between your implementation of soft chains and a side chain? Oh, yeah, it's not, not the easy one. Maybe uh, slightly before we go there. Um, so there is kind of a scalability um, advantage to having sidechains, which is that you can sort of, um, you know, what some people call sharding. I mean, sharding is also just a buzzword. But the idea that you can choose which chains you use and which you don't use. And that helps uh, with spreading the, the load. Like, like one example would be that every country has their own sidechain. And if you live in that country, you want to validate that sidechain and use it actively. Uh, but then when you go to another country... Uh, you you can move your coins back to the main chain, which would be Bitcoin. And then from the main chain, you can move them to another country's chain and then you can start using that chain, uh, something like that. But then you wouldn't have to validate all the chains of the other countries where you're not going, where you're not performing any um, you know, monetary activity, basically. So that would be kind of one, one advantage uh, other than uh, the fact that you can kind of freely uh, use your coins with different types of contracts. And also very generally speaking, 
with Bitcoin, it's been, you know, because it is very difficult to make changes to Bitcoin, actually, because you need everybody to be on board and everybody to come along, even with a soft fork. You can't just do a soft fork that is controversial. Um, so you have a lot more freedom uh, with these sidechains to actually do things that are maybe more experimental and the people can opt into them. And if the experiment goes wrong, it's fine because only the people who, you know, who went there, uh, basically, they, they got into trouble. But everybody else is fine. Uh, so that's sort of a safer model where, you know, you have just more freedom to, instead of like forcing everybody, well, forcing is not the right word, but needing everybody to be on the same track, uh, you can kind of uh, be a little bit more flexible there. Okay, so we're talking about this soft chain, um, yeah. this, this side chain. So how is it, how do you actually validate it? Like what, like, so let's say your example to the countries, there's a U.S. side chain toward to the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, You know, what does that look like and how are those transactions validated? Yeah. Okay. So, so soft chains specifically is one of my proposals and it's the most recent one that I uh, uh, published uh, December 31st last year, um, exactly on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, and yeah, so the idea is that it is a method to create something that is very similar to the, the general sidechain idea that I, I just I just discussed. Um, so roughly speaking, how it works is that we just create a bunch of chains. So let's say we create 10 new chains. And we let everybody who is currently validating Bitcoin, we also let them validate these other chains. And very generally speaking, this is a bad idea, right? Because if you do this, like normally, normally it would just be um, ten times the work. Because now you have these ten other chains that you're you're validating, uh, so you're just it's it's kind of like a block size increase in that sense. Uh, but the trick is that there's actually a method that uh, I figured out that allows you to do this validation in a way that's actually very cheap, as long as you're only passively observing the chain and you're not actively using it. Um, the reason you can't really actively use it is because it's a very slow validation method. So it's it's cheap, but slow. So, so roughly speaking, the goal is everybody validates all these other chains, but they can do so very efficiently. And only if they actually want to actively start using the chain, do they have to do full validation on the chain as normal. Okay, so... This would be the case of users running their own full node. They would have the option to run the side chain and validate those transactions along with just Bitcoin Core. Yes, so they would they would be doing that regardless, but they would be doing that in a way that is um, much cheaper than regular uh, regular consensus mechanism. Uh, but you still get very good consensus guarantees. So it's not you know it's not exactly a full node, but it comes pretty darn close, except it's just very slow. And then only if they actually want to actively use the chain, then they do regular full validation on that chain. Gotcha. So what are some examples of what potential soft chains could be? Like you gave the example of a country. What are what are some yeah. things that you imagine? Yeah, so that, the, the country would be, that's like sort of like a uh, scalability example, right? Where you try to find spots with people that want to interact with each other and you give them their own chain and that helps with scaling but you know it's still limited because you're you you know okay so you've created all these chains but they're still chains and blockchains are inherently limited in scaling so it only takes you that uh, you know it doesn't take you all the way but it helps with scaling generally speaking it's sort of like uh you know uh, an indirect block size increase uh just through a different method um but yeah, so that, that's the first thing, just giving more block space. But you can also have different rule sets. And the different rule sets, I mean, at that point, the sky's the limits, uh, theoretically speaking, right? You could create any type of chain that you want with any type of rule set that you want. Um, and, you know, it can be something crazy with smart contracting, it can be something very privacy focused. You can have a Mimble Wimble soft chain. Um, so, you know, all these things that you wish Bitcoin could do, uh, but Bitcoin for one reason or another has a hard time uh, adopting, uh, and usually for good reasons, um, you could you could create them maybe as as one of these soft chains. Um, but, you know, it's it's not quite that easy. Like I, like I said in the beginning, uh, soft chains are not, um, they're not perfect. 
And the main drawback here in what I'm uh, talking about right now is that you require a soft fork for activating a new soft chain. And that's, that's why it's called a soft chain, soft, soft fork, uh, soft chain. Uh, so that means that everybody sort of has to want that chain to exist for it to uh, be a thing. So it's not completely like the ideal would be that's completely permissionless that anyone could create a chain whenever they want. It's not quite like that. And then the second thing is that the way uh, it works uh, with the, the validation method that everybody has to perform, uh, even though it's a cheap validation method, it is a validation method that forces you to every now and then actually validate a full block. And that means you need to be aware of all the consensus rules of the other chain. And that means that if there's any bugs in those consensus rules, it could actually affect Bitcoin consensus. Um, and therefore, the safer thing to do is actually to only activate chains that are very conservative in what changes they make. But that doesn't mean that if we, you know, work hard and are very careful, uh, we could maybe get, you know, some crazier chains in there. Uh, but it would just be kind of more of a uh, undertaking to to actually make that happen. Right, right. Okay, so let's dig into state chains now. So we've kind of laid the groundwork for like what a soft chain is. Now, state chains are what I'm really interested in. So what is the difference between a state chain and a soft chain? I guess I'll start there. Sure. Uh, well, there's a big difference. Um, so just very generally speaking, right? So what, I, what I've been working on is really um, sort of a type of layer two consensus or finding ways to do more with your Bitcoins. And, and the soft, soft chains that we discussed just now is actually a, a method that is very much um, trying to make it so that um, it's completely decentralized and you can still move your coins to other chains. Um, with state chains tries to achieve a very different um, set of trade-offs. And with state chains, my uh, goal was actually more to say like, okay, well, let's say we accept that we need to rely on what is called a federation. And a federation is basically just an entity, but it's an entity that uh, has, uh, you, you spread the trust between multiple uh, different uh, entities, basically, uh, ideally all over the world. And they can work together. Um, and so instead of, you know, for instance, like you could, you could, put your money on Coinbase, but then you're trusting Coinbase, the entity. But with, with this mechanism, you can give your coins to a group of companies, uh, a group of exchanges, for instance, or, you know, and there, there may be uh, in all different, uh, all types of different countries, and they basically manage your coins through multisig. And this is a, uh, this is a downgrade in terms of decentralized consensus, right? It's a downgrade in terms of just controlling your coins yourself, but it's an upgrade compared to literally just uh, trusting Coinbase, trusting BitPay, or whatever kind of one centralized company. So it's sort of this in-between solution. And uh, some solutions like this exist already. Um, Liquid is a very good example uh, by Blockstream. Um, I think uh, that's also a very useful model. Um, but uh, the state chains model kind of takes it one step further and says like, well, can we do more? Uh, to make it even more secure, to make it so that you have to rely on this federation even less, even though you're still relying on them. And uh, that's uh, that's kind of what state chains ended up being. So what it is, is you lock up your coins with the federation and you give them kind of a, you know, there are two keys. One key is with you and one key is with, with the federation. And by having this federation involved, you can actually, they can help you to send the entire UTXO in its entirety. So not fractions of a Bitcoin, but like if you have one Bitcoin locked up, the entire Bitcoin, you can send it to other people. And because of the way it's set up, the first thing is that you always have an off-chain transaction that you can send to the Bitcoin blockchain to get your coins back. And that actually significantly improves security. Um, with a regular federation, as it's traditionally been used thus far, uh, you don't have this transaction that they signed for you that you can send to the Bitcoin blockchain at any time. And what that means is that 
if you want to get your coins back, you need to ask for permission and you need to hope that you can convince 66% roughly of the Federation to allow you to get your coins out. And if, let's say, 34% or more uh, says, no, I, I, I don't want you to get your coins back, you know, that might be because of regulatory pressure or, or whatever, uh, then they can actually prevent you from getting your coins out. Right. So, okay. So let's, yeah. I'm happy you brought up liquid. So okay. liquid, an example of a federated side chain, like you're just describing that you, you have to ask that permission to withdraw, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that would be the downside of using like the federated side chain, like liquid, as opposed mm -hmm. to using this, um, you know, the implementation idea of a state chain. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So you have, you already have the peg out transaction. You already have the tra transaction that allows you to get your coins out. And so what that means is that uh, when you want to get your coins out, you don't have to ask anything. You can just send it and you get them back. Um, so that is, uh, that is a, that turns out to be roughly a security improvement, like a doubling of security, depending on how you look at it. Uh, basically, there is still a failure condition, but the failure condition is that uh, roughly 66%, or, or you can even make it higher in the case of state chains, Roughly 66% needs to act needs to actively try to take your coins from you, um, in order for to prevent you from uh, taking your coins out. And in the case of a regular federation, uh, a federated sidechain, uh, that is that number is 33%. So you know in that in that regard, um, you know there's a there's a huge uh, benefit there. Um, then the second benefit is uh, there are some interesting anonymity things that, that are uh, potentially being improved here. I don't think that's as black and white. It's not, not that easy to compare because uh, the things that Liquid do, does with uh, confidential transactions is interesting and useful as well. Uh, but you can actually make it, you can, you can do it in such a way that the Federation is not actually aware that they have your coins or even which coins they have. So... Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, setup, but basically what you what you end up doing is you talk to the federation and you just ask them to sign something for you, and it's a so-called blind signature. So what that means is that they don't know what it is that you're giving them, and you just ask them, "Hey, sign this for me," and the federation goes, "Yeah, sure, I'll sign this for you," and then later you come back to them and you say, "Hey, uh, sign this other thing for me." And next time, don't listen to me, but listen to this other guy. And it's just a it's just a public key, basically. And the Federation goes, sure, I'll sign this for you, and now I'll listen to this other guy. And as long as the Federation actually does that, this very simple thing that I just you know explained, it's literally that. Like there, there's no complexity there. Um, as long as the Federation does that, it's actually helping you to move coins. And uh, what's interesting about that is this is kind of one of the things that. Um, it's what I call proactive. Non, it's proactively non-custodial, in the sense that they do have custody, but because they are, they have so little information, they can't actually know that they have custody. And if they act in the proper way, which means that every time you do a transfer, they have to forget some information, um, then they literally, even in hindsight, if they do want to like. Uh, change their mind and oh uh, actually I, I wanted to steal your coins they can't do it anymore if they have behaved honestly in the past they can't go they can't go back and, and change it um, that doesn't mean they can't be dishonest from the start so that's the that's the key here right like it's not it's not a, a, a golden bullet uh, where you fix everything silver bullet I guess um, but it, it helps a lot in terms of I think mainly from a regulatory perspective to be able to say like, look, um, I don't know if I'm moving any coins. So you don't come knocking at my door saying that I need to abide by certain regulations because I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just signing things blindly. It, and I think that can be helpful. Um, it's not a guarantee, right? If the government just says, I don't care, uh, sh uh, you have to shut down, uh, then the state chain will have to uh, shut down. But even in that scenario, right? Like they stop signing anything. That's another failure mode of, of the federated sidechain, right? If they stop signing, uh, your coins are gone. But here, if they stop signing, you still have your transaction that you can send on chain. So even that failure mode is kind of uh, taken care of. So are these like, it sounds like these blind signatures are like a mix of like an adapter signature and like a zero knowledge proof in a way. Is is that kind of close? 
well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's hard to to get into. So, yeah. So the way I had it set up, uh, and that's probably some of the content you've seen, um, is that I did both a blind signature and an adapter signature at the same time. The adapter signature is actually a security feature. It uh, makes sh- it makes sure that the federation cannot cheat when they are. Um, or at least if they cheat, you will have uh, proof, so you can uh, you can basically uh, kill their reputation. Um, but the main the main issue is okay. So the federation has one of your coins, and then the federation has uh, one of my coins. And let's say we want to swap uh, these coins. Uh, well, now you need the transfer to be atomic, right? You need both of these things to happen. And so if we just ask the server to do both, but they don't, then maybe you end up with both both coins. Uh, and then I, I I go like what the hell like the, the server just uh, cheated because they said they were gonna do it but they didn't do it but if I don't have any evidence uh, I'm gonna be in trouble so that's actually what the um, uh, uh, what the adapter signature is for um, and yeah and and the blind signature those two can basically just combine together like they're separate uh, techniques but they they can function uh, like uh, yeah at the same time uh, the blind signature is just literally uh, a way to hide what the server is signing. So they don't know what they're signing. They put their signature on it. And then even afterwards, if you publish that signature, they can't even recognize Well, they recognize that they must have signed it, <laughs> but they can't, uh, or they have to acknowledge that they must have signed it, but they, they can't recognize who asked them to put the signature on there. Okay. So it sounds, let's, let's get into some of the privacy trade-offs around this. So it sounds like this, the state chain implementation is very similar to an atomic swap idea or a coin swap idea where you're essentially just swapping those UTXOs. So how, what does that look like when it comes back and it settles on the base chain? Like, mm-hmm. is there is there a record like it's pretty obvious to trace that it's like, yes, this person swapped with this person or since that it was handled off chain, it kind of breaks that link? Yeah, um, so I think it would be very good to do like cl- like more research like like I haven't looked at it closely enough to to have like 100% certainty on what I'm going to say but yes from my perspective uh it seems to me um that you can have coins with this state chain federation and then you can swap these coins in such a way that the federation doesn't know who you swapped with and then later on you, you just say like, hey, I want to get my coins out. And especially like once we have Schnorr and once we have uh, Sigash, any prev out and, and, and some other like soft forks that are in the works. Uh, well, those two basically. Um, then at the end of the day, there's going to be literally no on-chain evidence that a swap ever occurred. Uh, roughly speaking, what you're going to be seeing is some coins moving to an address and then some coins moving out of an address and uh, and that's about it and you, you you don't know that it was a state chain you don't know that swaps occurred um, so that is potentially huge uh, for anonymity right because basically you know at the moment every time you send a transaction uh, there are some uh, very obvious heuristics that can be used the heuristic is just you know it's just an kind of an assumption as to how people behave. So you see a transaction and then you can make a guess as to, oh, like this must be the payment and this must be the, um, uh, uh, you know, the money that goes back to the sender. Um, and, you know, one of those heuristics, to give you an example, is you look at the dollar amount of how many, ever many Bitcoins were sent. And if it's a round amount, like if it's $100, then you can assume that that's the, the output that's making the payment and the other uh, output is just going back to the sender. Uh, that's the uh, the change address. So heuristics like that, they kind of break once you um, have behavior that looks the same like just a regular payment, right? Just money moving somewhere and then money moving again. But in reality, while you know you have to like one, you have two on-chain transactions basically. In the meantime, off-chain, a bunch of times this this UTXO swapped uh, hands. Uh, so yeah, that can be potentially uh, very useful, and you know there there are obviously you know, this is not the only proposal that does that. Um, we have uh, you know Belcher working on uh, uh, just doing, uh, I guess, on-chain uh, coin swaps, 
uh, that's very much a, a similar thing, but you know the the benefits to to his method, which I think is also very valuable, is there's literally no federation involved, right? So that means mm -hmm. uh, it's it's more trustless. Right. So right now in this implementation, you're you're sending a full UTXO, but if we're talking about we could potentially open lightning channels on top of the state chain that would allow you to send smaller smaller increments of that UTXO. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so then even the more privacy yeah. features come in when it, once you start talking about and and like opening lightning channels on top of this mm -hmm. and you're you're breaking that UTXO into even more. Yeah, so you know one thing that's kind of funny. Uh so this is a little crazy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I, I even think it's theoretically possible to open up a lightning channel and be actively using it while you are doing coin swaps with it. So you and I, we could open a channel and then while we are just using the channel for lightning, we can we can we can just swap out that UTXO for other UTXOs. And, and you know, it doesn't matter for our channel, right? We just move our channel to the other UTXO we swapped with. Um, so you can actually do both, which is kind of crazy. Um, wait, okay, so wait, so when you open that lightning channel, you're you're sending that two of two to the base chain. So how do you swap that um, with a different UTXO mm -hmm. using yeah. the state chain and not go back to the base layer? Yeah, so in this case, what you're doing is you're opening up a lightning channel on top of the state chain. So I send a Bitcoin to the state chain. Now I have a, a, a Bitcoin locked up with the state chain. And now let's say I want to send you a fraction of that Bitcoin and we decide, okay, well, let's just open up a lightning channel. So I'm going to, I have one Bitcoin. I'm going to send you 0 0.1. Uh, so I create a state chain off chain transaction where I send you, uh, basically I send the Bitcoin to both of us, but we create uh, a, yet another off chain transaction where 0 0.9 goes to me and 0 0.1 goes to you. And you know, that's basically a lightning channel. So, at that po at that point, we've opened a lightning channel on uh, on on top of a state chain. So that's really nice, right? So you can open, close, or uh, rebalance uh, lightning channels completely off chain as long as you accept the kind of the federation trust assumption. And okay, so now we have this lightning channel, but all we need for our lightning channel is just a off chain transaction that promised promises to give me 0 0.9 and one that promises to give you 0 0.1, we don't really care which UTXO that is. So while our channel is open, we can just swap. And then before we do the swap, we make sure that the same you know transaction structure, right, where uh, 0 0.9 goes to me, 0 0.1 goes to you, uh, that that is present in the UTXO that we swapped with. And then we finish the swap. And so now we've done a swap and now we have a different UTXO. Um, and uh, the lightning channel is still open. <laughs> and meanwhile, this is all behind Taproot. <laughs> yeah, ideally, yep. So, I don't. It, this is just for me. It's really, re like it's really driving home the point of like what Bitcoin privacy is going to look like in the future. And people who say Bitcoin, yeah, it's not private. But whenever we're talking about, you can send it between these different side chains and layers and open channels on top of layers and on top of chains on the nth chain, you know, and it's all indistinguishable behind taproot. It, there's no way you're going to be able to have any sort of on-chain heuristics at that point. Like it breaks every, everything we have or yeah. everything chain analysis companies have against us is a better way to say that. Yeah. It's, it's very promising. Like I don't, I don't like to, get ahead of myself for these cases, right? So, you know, I, I'm saying it with some careful footnotes of like, okay, this has to be looked into very carefully before, you know, I can 100% say like, oh yeah, this is going to be great for privacy. Uh, but it's clearly, it has a lot of potential. And, uh, you know, I, I, I very much value this, the, the work that uh, Wasabi Wallet is doing. And uh, obviously, you know, Belcher, like I mentioned, because, you know, they're the ones who, um, like my ideas are a little bit more, future right like like we're not there yet like it's it's hard to build it now uh there, there's a company commerce block that is like doing a part of this already uh but you know because we don't have Schnorr, we don't have uh, sigash any prev out they can't quite do everything that we're talking about uh, right now but they do have uh interestingly they have these uh, coin swaps set up so that's nice 
Okay, so let's just throw another one on there. What is this going to look like? Let's keep the same exact example we have going with a lightning channel on top of the state chain, and let's just throw a DLC in there. So what could this potentially look like? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay, so I hope, I hope you'll be able to follow along, but there's some really interesting things you can do with that. Um, so uh, a DLC, uh, I, I guess you've had uh, prior episodes where it's explained, but just very, very briefly... Um, you ha you open up a channel with someone and then you make a bet and you say like, look, uh, there's an Oracle here and this Oracle signs stuff and it will make, you know, it will say like the, the Bitcoin price is this high at, at this time. And we're going to use that outcome of this Oracle to distribute however many Bitcoins we have in here. And, and that way you can, you can go short, you can go long. Uh, you can you can actually like uh, do create the equivalent of kind of a dollar value uh, using this oracle. Uh, the oracle itself is a trust assumption, uh, but it, it is very powerful in in that regard. You can do this. Um, so with DLCs, again, the problem is, in order to ha to do DLCs, uh, you have to have a channel with the person that you're trading with. Uh, there are weird ways uh, to do it over the Lightning Network, but they're they're quite frankly, uh, impractical. Um, so, so that's unfortunate. Um, so, so you end up with this kind of limitation. If you want to do DLCs, you have to open and close channels with people directly, uh, not through routing. And that again, there's state chains is perfect for that. So, uh, yeah. So if you want to, if you want to do, if you want to use DLCs to do a bets, uh, based on the outcomes of oracles, uh, this is a perfect platform for that, right? So we could, um, so roughly speaking, let's say you have one Bitcoin, I have one Bitcoin. If we wanted to do a bet, um, ideally we would swap these two two times one Bitcoin for one time two Bitcoins, right? One UTXO to control that has two Bitcoins. And then we have a two of two on there. And then we use the two of two for, for the bet. Now, the, the crazy thing is that even inside of the two of two multisig that we created, you can actually include a state chain in there as well. So a state chain inside of a state chain. And this is kind of where it gets crazy. So let's say we, you and I, we have a bet. And basically the goal of the bet is that I just want, uh, I don't know what the Bitcoin price is today, but let's say $50,000. I, I just say like, look, I, at the end of the day, I just want $50,000 worth of Bitcoin uh, once this contract expires, let's say one year from, from now. And if Bitcoin goes up, great, you get more money. If Bitcoin goes down, uh, you'll have to send me more Bitcoins. So that, that's one bet that we can do. So now I basically have this contract, this DLC contract, where I, I have the equivalent of $50,000 in there. But because I use the state chain inside of a state chain, I can actually swap out my position without your, your permission. So you don't need to do anything. And I can just sell my, my part of, of our DLC bets to somebody else. And even even further, I could take part of it. So I could say, okay, well, I have this $50,000 equivalent and I'm actually going to send $10,000 of those $50,000 to this other person. Uh, and I, I can do all this via the state chain without requiring uh, the, the counterparty of my DLC bet uh, to be involved. So this is called uh, basically non-interactive novation. Uh, and so that's, again, potentially very powerful, but a little bit like mind boggling to think about. Yeah, you almost lost me a little bit there. So how can you possibly have a state chain inside of a state chain? Um, hmm, yeah, so it's very difficult to explain, <laughs> but let me try. Um, what you need is uh, the, bet, the, out the, the outcome of the bet is actually just uh, you and me creating a signature. So from the state chain perspective, really all, all that it's doing is um, when when we have a two of two multisig, uh, because we're using Schnorr, it just looks like a single signature. So for, for all, uh, from the perspective of the state chain, what, what it thinks is that, okay, a person has this, uh, this UTXO. This person could be two people, could be 50 people. It, you know, the state chain doesn't know. It's just a single key. And now from this position, we create yet another transaction that's already spending the, the state chain output, even though it's not on chain yet. And in this separate output, 
you know, I could send my coins, uh, like we could s split up the coins, right? Where depending on the bet outcome, half of it goes to you, half of it goes to me or whatever. Um, and if on that output, you put another state chain. So that means that the, the, the output that is created after our bet resolves, if that is already going to be inside of a state chain, guaranteed, then the then I can already pass on the outcome of the bet to other people. Is that okay. confusing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely confusing. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to yes. like, I'm trying to absorb it all at the same time and, and process it and come up with something that yeah. doesn't sound totally ridiculous on the podcast. But <laughs> that, hey, that's what we're here for. And I'm, hopefully, I can be the person that uh, gets some of these answers out for people that have questions about them. Yeah. So L let me try so, one more time, maybe to yeah. to say it in, in other terms. So because the whole process is deterministic we know what output is going to appear on the on the blockchain and if you if you have that guarantee then you can basically use that um yeah i don't know if this is going to make it easier actually now that i think about it um yeah the main thing is if it all deterministically works out you know which outputs are going to be created. And if all those outputs are verifiably under the control of the, of the uh, state chain, then you can use that basically to, before they're even on chain, to already give them to other people. So in this case, it's literally the outcome of the bet, right? The outcome of the bet, uh, it hasn't happened yet, but because you know no matter what the outcome of the bet is, it's going to create an output that is going to be controlled by the state chain. You can therefore already pass it on to somebody else. Okay, I think the third time's a charm because that one made a little bit more sense. Great. Um, okay, so I, th I think that's good on state chains. Now let's get into your baby a little bit. So talk to me about what the difference is with a space chain. So we've had mm. side chains, soft chains, state chains, space chains now. That's so right. And now this is giving the option for, you know, to create, this is similar to maybe like an RGB where you could create a different token. But what, from what I've read, from what you're saying is that the, they're not a store of value. So talk to me a bit about that, how that works, how you can create separate tokens that are still attached to Bitcoin that you can say definitively, like will not have value. All right. Yeah. So space chains, and I apologize for all the S's. Um, at first it was a coincidence, and then okay, the last one I was just kind of like, okay, well I can keep going with this. Uh, and my space last name just let's just get <laughs> cosmic, like. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it just all, so in this case, space chains is um, so. Well, the last one I, I created was soft chains, and that one fit too because the soft fork, soft chains, right? But for space chains, the word is space as in block space. It's not space as in uh, outer space, although you know. It's, it's nice that that fits as well. Um, so with space chains, yet another uh, kind of sidechain idea where the idea is to create new chains that are separate from Bitcoin by basically paying Bitcoin miners in Bitcoin. And I use kind of a trick for that by creating a, sort of a, a smart way of creating a framework of transactions uh, that is pre-signed or ideally is created by a covenant, meaning that kind of verifiably there's no shenanigans going on. And what this allows is for anybody to create a chain that just lives inside of Bitcoin and kind of it, it gets subsumed by Bitcoin's proof of work because you're paying, you're paying Bitcoin fees to miners in order to mine your alternative uh, block on this alternative chain, you are basically, you know, it, it creates one big umbrella. So ideally, if all the altcoins were doing that, then Bitcoin's proof of work would go up, right? Because all the transactions would basically, um, you know, all the proof of work would fall under Bitcoin. So that would be kind of awesome. Um, but, so this is a mechanism to create other chains, but other chains are, as we know, very problematic because they always require or have some kind of altcoin, right? So, okay, so you created a chain, but now you want to use this chain and you want to pay for fees on this chain, but how do you do that 
without creating an altcoin. And for the longest time, that's been the answer, right? Like a lot of these projects, a lot of these altcoin projects, whether they have their own proof of work or whether they, you know, do something like I described, uh, they always say like, well, we want to do this thing that Bitcoin can't do. And in order to do it, we need a token because otherwise you can't pay for fees. So I guess we'll create an altcoin. Uh, whoops, uh, you know, uh, altcoin pumps and we uh, made millions of dollars, but that was not our intention because, you know, we had no choice. That's roughly, uh, you know, how it usually goes. Um, <laughs> but turns out you do have a choice. And so the way I have solved it here for space chains, so the, the idea of space chains is one, you create new chains inside of Bitcoin. And two, you don't create this free floating altcoin token, but what you do instead is you, whenever you want to create a token on this alternate chain, you have to burn a Bitcoin. You can, you can burn as many Bitcoins as you like, or as few Bitcoins as you like. Um, but there's always the possibility for anyone to burn their Bitcoins and create tokens on this alternate chain. And it has a few very interesting effects. So this is slightly difficult to wrap your head around as to like what what the uh, implications of this are. But basically, the first thing to notice here is that it literally ensures that there's no way that the token that you're creating is going to be worth more than Bitcoin. Because as soon as it goes up in value, people just come in and they burn more Bitcoins to create more of these space coins. Um, and because they can always do so, the price will drop that back down to exactly one space coin equals one Bitcoin. Now, this is a so-called one-way peg. It's not a two-way peg. And what that means is that, okay, the price of a space coin can never exceed one Bitcoin, but it can still drop down. So you've sort of um, removed the potential upside of, uh, of this chain. And the potential upside is still there, but it actually goes to all the Bitcoin holders because the more Bitcoins they are burned, the more... Uh, scarce the remaining Bitcoins become. So all the value basically goes into the remaining Bitcoins. And the nice thing about this is that now this enables you to create a chain that guaranteed is not competing with Bitcoin as a store of value. And this is something that all the other altcoins can't say or do and something that Ethereum completely failed at. Literally, this was the uh, you know the the marketing pitch that Ethereum had in the beginning, where they said, "Oh, we are not a store of value. Uh, these Ether tokens are gas that you're going to be using to pay for smart contracts on our chain, on our world world computer." And uh, you know, uh, a couple of years later, it's like, "Ha ha ha! Oh yeah, we said that, but uh, yeah, now we're trying to be a store of value, right?" And that is, you know, that's kind of obvious in hindsight because. Really, all these altcoin tokens, they, they sort of have no reason to exist if, if they can't, if they don't at least try to store value. Um, but it just means that whenever you create a new chain, you're, you're competing with Bitcoin. And here, we have a mechanism where you can compete, you, you can create a new chain, and you don't compete with Bitcoin because explicitly the token on there will never be worth more than one Bitcoin. And that is that enables this ecosystem where you can actually start building chains that Bitcoiners can comfortably use without having this fear or, you know, marketing push usually uh, surrounding it that is like trying to claim or trying to make people believe that whatever new token is going to be the next Bitcoin and you better buy it now because otherwise, you know, you're going to lose out on making lots of money, FOMO, blah, blah, blah. So that's all gone. Um, so what you end up with is a chain that is not good for storing value for the obvious reason that you can store value in there, but it's always superior to store your value in Bitcoin because that's the, the superior token here. But everything else acts as a completely separate blockchain with completely separate consensus rules that is permissionless. Anybody can create any of these chains. And with that, you can you know quite literally do anything. Um, but so there are, there are a few things that would be kind of, I think, would be a good fit for, for this model. And the first one would be something that's very similar to what RGB is doing, which is asset issuance. So what you end up with is just a single transaction per, per block on the Bitcoin blockchain can create an entire block worth of uh, other assets that people created. 
Uh, and this is very efficient, right? Like co compared to what RGB does, like in RGB, uh, essentially every anytime you want to transfer one of these uh, assets on chain, you have to create a Bitcoin transaction that can be quite costly. Uh, and now it's true that they uh, want to get it all onto the Lightning Network, but that's kind of an orthogonal solution. Like space chains can also uh, be connected to the Lightning Network. Um, so with this asset issuance, you know, you can do things that are a scammy if you want it, unfortunately. You can do things like rare pepes, uh, which I think are sort of okay, and the NFT stuff, which is you know a little bit crazy right now, uh, but uh, NFTs are entirely possible on it. Uh, you can do federated two-way packs on there. So the interesting thing there is that, yes, there's a federation involved, but the consensus of the chain, unlike, unlike with Liquid, uh, the consensus of the chain is completely separated from the the, the peg. Um, so that would be kind of the main use case. And then there are a couple of others, but I've, I've been talking for a long time. So is there anything I should clarify up until now? Yeah, so sorry, let me go back to my question. So about mining. So how exactly, explain to me how they can basically allocate hash power to Bitcoin mining while they're also allocating mining towards this uh, fictitious, you know, coin. That's a, yeah. that's a space chain. Yeah. So I, I sort of deliberately skipped over those uh, technical details, but they're interesting to get into. So let's do it. Um, so basically what I've done is I created a framework where there is one transaction per block. And this transaction is one input and one output. And the way this transaction is going to be spent has been predetermined. And it's 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 going to be spent in such a way that the next transaction spending the previous transaction can get into the next block. There, there's always like a one block waiting time and, and that's necessary to ensure, well, it's not necessary, but that's the cleanest way of doing it to ensure that it's going to be just one transaction per block into the Bitcoin blockchain. So now we have this framework of a transaction you know, input and output, and then it's being spent in the next block with an input and output. It's being spent in the next block with an input and output, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this entire framework was created in such a way that the, that there's no fees attached to it. So it's it's not going to get into a Bitcoin blockchain unless somebody pays a fee. Now, the nice thing is it's set up in such a way that somebody else can take that transaction and add another input and output to it. We, we do this with uh, specific SIGASH flags, uh, SIGASH any prevout, uh, among others. And <clears throat> with this, you and I can say like, okay, well, I would like to take this transaction, attach my own input and output, and I would like to include a hash of a block that I want to create. And I could say like, okay, well, the, the block that I'm creating, I'm getting all the transactions fees of the, of the block that I'm creating uh, on the, uh, you know, these are going to be space coins, right? Not Bitcoins. Um, and so I can say like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to get roughly 0 0.1 Bitcoin worth of fees. So I'm going to be bidding 0 0.1 Bitcoin uh, to the Bitcoin miners for them to include my specific version of this transaction. And then you see that and, and you think to yourself, well, actually, I think I can create a block where I can get 0 .0, 0 0.11 uh, Bitcoin. So you can then go ahead and outbid me. And basically, we kind of exploit the RBF mechanism, uh, RBF meaning replace by fee. So this is a mechanism where you can replace your own transaction by another transaction with a higher fee. Uh, to basically create this bidding war where anyone can use replace by fee on this on this transaction, and whoever pays the highest fee gets to be the winner, and they get to attach their input and output to this transaction, and this this uh, then in turn also contains the hash of the block. So the highest bidder gets their transaction in. Uh, in a specific location that there, there's only one location, but there's only one of these transactions that exists. Uh, and that is basically how the block is created. Okay. I, I still didn't get the part where, so is the miner actually like, is are they diverting hash power away mm, from okay, Bitcoin? Yeah. Or no. is it is it whenever they're they're actively looking for the base layer, you know, Bitcoin core block reward and they're yeah. by default at the same time mining this space chain. That's right. It's the latter. So it's quite okay. literally. So this is called this is called blind merge mining as opposed to non-blind. Uh, so blind merge mining means that the Bitcoin miners don't have to care. 
So really what they're doing is they're, so th this is the nice thing about the, the kind of the framework I set up. Uh, so this is a blind merge mining framework. And the nice thing is it just works. Um, it, ideally, it also gets Sigesh any prev out, uh, which is kind of the, you know, likely to be next soft fork, uh, but you know, not certain uh, after Schnorr taproot. And, uh, but even without this, uh, you can make it work. Um, so that means that, you know, you don't really need to make any very specific changes to Bitcoin. You don't need to ask Bitcoin miners to care about your specific space chain. Uh, no, uh, literally the Bitcoin miners are just going to do what they always do, which is take the transactions with the highest fees. And in doing so, they will be inadvertently mining uh, the space chain blocks. And the fact that you're paying them fees, the fees themselves are what Bitcoin miners compete for, right? So... You know, if if uh, if because if let's say space chains become super popular, and there's going to be ten bitcoins worth of fees because of space chains, uh, well, that means that Bitcoin miners are going to be competing more, uh, you know, more strongly to to get those ten bitcoins, right? So at the end of the day, it is actually all these fees are actually being turned into proof of work. Right. So there, are these space chains. Let's say they, some of them are hopefully created in the next few years. Miners that are you know basically just collecting transactions fees these these are helping the security of the overall network in a way because yeah so that's that's interesting okay, yeah so, so that, yeah sorry go ahead no yeah so i mean that's i was just gonna you know it's just gonna repeat like that's really nice uh that it helps uh bitcoin security uh but on on the the other way around is is i think kind of a tougher sell and a lot of these chains that do similar things to this because merge mining itself is is not completely novel um you know they they kind of make the claim that they are secured by bitcoin uh and they have the same security as bitcoin because they're mined together with bitcoin and that is actually a claim that in my opinion is too strong uh, there are some benefits uh so it is it is slightly harder to um reorganize a space chain but it's it's nowhere near as hard as re literally reorganizing bitcoin the space chain itself can be re reorganized for significantly less cost and you may have touched on this already i may have just missed it but so do state chains and space chains both require us a, um, a soft fork uh yeah so well yes and no so state chains currently already exist without a soft fork uh but it's sort of a less less than ideal version um so uh in order to have the ideal version uh for state chains yes and for space chains it's a similar story uh there is a sort of uh less than ideal version that you can do today um but the ideal version uh would require uh the sigash any private software specifically so you know and that's important right so i'm i'm not it's, it doesn't depend on a soft fork that is specific to these proposals. It's actually a very generic soft fork that is interesting for Lightning Network uh, to do something called L2ELTOO. Um, so there's already a lot of interest behind this soft fork. And I'm, you know, I found ways to use that mechanism in, in, for other things. Um, so, you know, like it would be very difficult if it required like a very specific software to Bitcoin that was only in order to enable space chains or something like that. Uh, and that is actually kind of the, the thing that drive chains has kind of been uh, uh, walking into that they, they're having a hard time um, getting, uh, you know, these, these changes into Bitcoin in order to make it happen. Uh, so that's luckily not the case here. And then specific to, state to space chains, there is, uh, th there is a way to do it today. Uh, the reason it's not ideal is because it requires pre-signed transactions. And these pre-signed transactions, they can uh, theoretically, you know, you would have to have a person create them and then throw away the key. And if they don't throw away the key, they could potentially fork the, the these transactions that they're, you know, that are supposed to be spent one after another. They could, you know, just be kind of, this chain could be broken. And, and that's not terrible in the sense that what it means is just that the space chain would halt and you would need a hard fork to restart it. Uh, not ideal, but it's not like, you know, it's not um, that there's like uh, coins that can be stolen or the consensus mechanism uh, can be gamed or something like, it's nothing like that. So for that reason, it's not terrible. But then there's a second thing, which is that it's actually quite costly to do it because it requires a, um, 
it requires the person that creates this uh, this framework for these transactions to pay all the fees for all these transactions into the future. And you have to create this like long chain of transactions that are just like years into the future. And all these fees have to be paid ahead of time. So that ends up being like, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000 or something. Okay, so something you mentioned when you were you going through that, you said the new lightning fork, what L2 ELO, is that what you mentioned? E-L-T-O-O, yes. Yeah. E-L-T-O. Okay, so what is, tell me about this. I have no okay. idea what this is. All right, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, so it's sort of funny because it's, uh, I think we're, everybody's so focused on Taproot um, that um, maybe it's, it's sort of like, been you know forgotten almost i wouldn't say literally like everybody who who is very much into lightning they, they know about it but um so the lightning network today it uses a uh, mechanism a punishment mechanism where whenever let's say you and i we have a channel whenever we update the channel we have to make sure that the previous state cannot be sent to the blockchain and the way we do that is by saying okay well if you do send your previous state to the blockchain I now have enough information to actually take all the coins, right? And that that's punishment. So this this is this makes it work, but it has a lot of uh, uh, kind of nasty issues. And one of them is that well, if you accidentally send the wrong state, right, you you get punished quite severely. So making mistakes is quite costly. But okay, don't make mistakes, right? You could say. Uh, and then the second thing is it actually limits how much we can do in terms of how many people you can put in a channel because let, let's say we have a channel with three people right it's like alice bob carol and unfortunately the way it works is that let's say bob sends the wrong state to the network carol punishes bob and now alice is indirectly also punished even though she did nothing wrong because she didn't get to punish Bob. Carol got to punish, punish Bob. So for, for three people, this punishment mechanism just doesn't work. Okay, so so that's how it works today. And that's why we don't have uh, so-called lightning channel factories yet, for instance. Lightning channel factory is basically you put, let's say, 10 people in, in a single channel. And then inside of the channel, you create two, two of two multi-sig channels. So you would have one off-chain UTXL. And in reality, it, it, it holds, uh, you know, 10 different channels or, or however many you want to create. So th this, this kind of thing doesn't work yet, right? Because of what I just described. The punishment mechanism is not good for it. So this brings us to Sigash AnyPrevout, um, which enables something that is called L2, right? And it's a funny name because it's like layer 2 L2, but it's spelled E-L-T-O-O. -O. Uh, and there's a paper on it if you want to look it up. It's... Uh, you know, it has a lot of detail, so it's a, it's a great read. Um, and with L2, you can change the punishment mechanism to a what I call overriding mechanism. So now, instead of when you publish an old state, I punish you, uh, you publish an old state, and I can overwrite it with a newer state. So now, when you do something wrong, I just have to respond to it. And then we're all good. And then we're back to the latest state. And how that works exactly, you know, I, I can't I can't go into, but it, it ends up working rather nicely where you know you update the state ten times and then you can directly just send the send the tenth state to the blockchain without needing all the prior states. Uh, so there's a certain like cut through mechanism there. Uh, so that's really exciting because it actually I mean, this will be too complicated to get into, but there are a bunch of things in the Lightning Network that are sort of complex because of the punishment and there's asymmetric states and things like that. And that can all be taken care of and removed uh, once we have uh, this, this L2 mechanism thanks to a, a SIG hash any prevout. So how far, are we, how far away are we from having this L2 mechanism? Well, right now, I would say... Uh, well, I guess there are two reasons. Like theoretically, you can have soft forks that activate simultaneously, um, but it looks like the best way of creating Sigash any prevout is by connecting it to Taproot. So we need Taproot to activate first, and I think on top of that, there's also a um, just a sort of a shortage of 
mm, developer attention where a lot of the attention right now is going into Taproot and, you know, maybe even slightly, unfortunately so in terms of, you know, the debates having become slightly, you know, bike shedding territory and, it, and it's difficult to, you know, I, I don't want to be too uh, critical there because, you know, it is very important to have everybody be involved in the decision-making. So I, I think it's good and bad, right? It, like it's bad in the sense that it's, it's stressful, it's difficult, it requires a lot of time and effort, and it's good in the sense that it really wakes people up, right? And I've, I've seen people that said like, oh, geez, like the way this is going with the whole taproot thing, uh, I need to start learning how this all works. And I would to that, I would say, yes, that is exactly what you need as a, as a Bitcoin user. You can't just passively sit sit back and just be like, oh, uh, you know, uh, I, you know I, I don't have anything to do with this. No, every Bitcoin user is responsible for consensus. And this sort of forces you to really like wake up and pay attention when people like Luke Jr. are suddenly saying like, hey, run this alternative client, which, you know, in my opinion, is, is, is probably not a good idea to do. But but you got to make that decision, right? Like you can't just say like, oh, uh, I'm just going to assume Bitcoin Core is doing what's right. Uh, no, you'll have to, uh, you know, not trust, but verify. Exactly. I mean, that's that's everything we preach. What's the whole point of like, yeah, Bitcoin may be working right now as the way you, you want it to, but that doesn't that's not to say that in the future it doesn't change. And, you know, you, you should be if you're a Bitcoiner, you should be running it and using it and familiar with the way that like what you're agreeing to whenever you send a transaction. Uh, totally. So yeah. I have a one last question. Um, and hopefully it's contentious, but uh, everything that you've or everything we've talked about today, state chains, um, space chains, soft chains. I heard you mention multiple times that they're about saving block space. And that term is very contentious, or it can be, um, because blockchain, block space is considered scarce. Um, and so the block, the block size wars that we had in 2017 were all around basically a, a clever way to rearrange block space that, you know, didn't increase the block size directly and lead to centralization. So, sorry, my phone's ringing. So, how is this uh, How is this going to increase the block space but not decrease the scarcity of Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Uh, the, the first thing I would say to that is that the block space quality is not of the same level. Being on the base layer is always preferable. And then being on these alternate layers, uh, it's it, it is a trade-off. Like, you know, I can go through the trade-offs for for every specific uh, thing that we talked about. But for uh, state chains, for instance, the clear the clear trade-off is you put a federation in the middle, right? So, is a federation as reliable as having on-chain coins? No, absolutely not. Uh, if if the federation was equally reliable, we could just run Bitcoin as a federation, right? And have all the Bitcoins be controlled by a federation. Well, that'd be a terrible idea. But that's what you're doing when you're putting a federation in the middle. So it's it's a it's tier two block space, right? It's a it's a block space of lower quality that can be good enough depending on your purpose. And you know, to really uh, you know give a good example of this is like let's say you want to buy a coffee. Is, is that a censorship-resistant purchase? Is that something you don't want your government to know about? Is that something that uh, is contentious in any way and uh, can lead you into trouble uh, somehow? No, absolutely not. So why pay a censorship-resistant fee on the base layer for a purchase that doesn't require censorship resistance? And that's kind of why I think we need all of these different levels of um, trade-offs and depending on what your use case is, what you're trying to do, uh, one or the other might be better or worse. And now with space chains, the the issue is very clearly is just it's not a two-way peg, right? So you don't have any bitcoins on there. So for it's 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 a block space. It's block space for all the things that are not literally bitcoin, and that's really nice in the sense that there are all these use cases that are kind of secondary to bitcoin to store value, and. You know, a lot of these have been like tried on altcoins. Uh, some of these have been tried like as kind of like inside of Bitcoin, such as like with RGB. And now you just have sort of this separate space that doesn't that barely impacts Bitcoin. And in fact, it sort of impacts Bitcoin positively because, you know, it pays for, for Bitcoin uh, proof of work fees. 
And with this uh, burning mechanism, it even increases the value of your Bitcoins. So that, again, is not really, it's not a, you know, it's not a competitor to Bitcoin as a store of value block space. It's blockchains for everything that's not store of value block space. So that's kind of a different category. And then the last yeah. one, I think, is the most questionable, right? Soft chains. And here, I think you're kind of right um, that it becomes sort of a trade-off where especially, like, I, I will say that with soft chains, you know, there are some serious consensus um, risks or it's just a big consensus change, basically. So, you know, it, it would be difficult even to get soft chains into Bitcoin. But let's say it did happen. Uh, if it actually works perfectly, then these soft chains could potentially be actually as like like a block size increase where they're pretty much as good as bitcoin uh, i don't think that's going to be the case in practice i i think they'll be inferior in one way or another but you know the, the perfect side chain would certainly be like that and in that case you got you kind of have to wonder and and for for block space the weird thing is it, it exists for two reasons um it's it's a mechanism that allows us to make sure that the blockchain doesn't grow faster than we can validate. But it's also a mechanism that al allows us to generate sufficient fees once the uh, a subsidy is gone, uh, to generate su sufficient fees to have high enough security. And this latter one, I think, is is most in danger, right, by these, um, by the, uh, the creation of more block space. Because uh, especially with soft chains, right? The the validation is uh, is optional. So in terms of validation, you're not really increasing the cost for for full nodes. But in terms of how many fees there are going to be for security, uh, yeah, that's a different story. But then the nice thing for soft chains is that, like I said earlier, activating a soft chain is a soft fork. So you actually need consensus. You need everybody to opt into it. So if there is a scenario where we are afraid and you know this could get, go one way or another and i personally i think there's going to be plenty of demand for bitcoin block space but let's say we are afraid that there's no go not going to be enough fees uh, generated well under that scenario you might just say let's not activate a soft chain and i think that would be a perfectly valid answer as well very interesting nuance there ruben this has been a great conversation do you have anything else you want to point people towards um Anything you're working on specifically outside of this or where the people can find links for this, your Twitter? What, what do you have? Uh, yeah. So I have a, yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Samson Rubin, S-O-M-S-E-N-R-U-B-E-N. Uh, I also am co-host of a podcast called The Unest Podcast. So if you like listening to me, maybe you can check that one out. Um and yeah, I have, I guess I have a, we uh, a simple website that's also linked on my Twitter account, but it's tiny.cc slash Samson, where I have links to all my uh, work proposals and articles that I wrote. So if you find this interesting, check out my podcast, check out my work there. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Thanks for your time today, Ruben. Yeah, it was great.